0: Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission
1: Bible verse is Job 2310. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Hello, 24 Karat Tribe. Welcome. Hey, peeps. All right. So we have two special guests. They're males. I'm so excited. Two men. (laughs) <laughs> have on show, I think that you're our third guest that are men. And so I met Eric and Riley and immediately loved what they were doing. Um, I binged on YouTube, Authentic Radio, and it so resonated with me because they are having honest conversations just like us. And so both Eric and Riley have a background in church ministry, and we wanted to have them on to talk about some of these conversations that we aren't having in church. So welcome, Eric and Riley.
2: Thank you. Thank you guys so much for having us. It's an honor to be the third set of guys on here. It, it
0: is. <laughs> if you do well, we might invite more. But. Um,
3: okay. All right. We'll try really hard because we're very performance oriented. Yeah, right. Not <laughs> it's
1: all on your show. Yes.
2: That's a church guys. thing
1: right there. Like they want to perform well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, tell us a little about, about each of your stories. So we'll start with you, Eric, first, and then I want to find – then I'll talk to you, Riley, yeah. and then we'll find out how you guys became friends.
2: Sweet. Age before beauty. Like it.
3: Ooh. It's starting already. Right off the bat.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel your pain, Eric.
3: Exactly. <laughs> I'm from Texas. Uh, I grew up in a pastor's home. It was a small um, – denomination that was Pentecostal, and we did not roller skate, we did not uh, go to movies, my sisters did not wear shorts, and I was a very good boy. Because they were wearing pants, just for clarification. They were not wearing pants. <laughs> You're
1: not wearing pants, You were wearing oh,
3: long, long dresses. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was not long dresses and beehives, but same mentality. And my yeah. talked about, because she took the youth group to roller skate rinks, and she wore lipstick. Wow. He always said, I've got to put on my powder and paint to make me look like what I ain't. And that was kind of her slogan.
2: <laughs> I love it.
3: Yeah. So uh, I grew up in that home, uh, went away to college, had a bunch of pretty crazy experiences that were really fragmenting so far as my own personal soul and also my faith. And then uh, at uh, about 26, I really met God in a powerful uh, encounter at a church. I didn't mm-hmm. go forward or anything, but I just, for the first time in my life, I realized, wow, I have someone who's called a father who actually mm-hmm. cares yes. about me as a person. And so from, from that point on, I uh, began to really develop my faith walks with the Lord. I had a lot of fragmentation early that came into my life and followed me for a lot of my life. So it's it's been a hot scotch uh journey, but it's mm. been very powerful. Mm, thank
1: you. That's, That's very amazing.
2: Yeah. And uh so I'm Riley, I'm 29. I'm only saying my age because I'm only 29 for three more days and I want it to be documented on here than I'm oh. in my 20s.
0: Because <laughs> everything's gonna change when you hit 30. I know. Yeah, I'm gonna
2: start pulling hamstrings. Next time I'm on here, I'm going to look like Eric. Oh, my God.
1: Well, that's good looking.
2: (laughs) so
3: lucky. I know.
2: I would be, actually. His eyes will be blue. This guy, he's the most fit 64-year-old you've ever met in your life. 65. I know. I said that on purpose. (laughs) He really is. uh, Same. (laughs) So I grew up here in Northern California, um, kind of in a very cushy, environment family was kind of a suburb family Brady bunch type thing, and grew up in the church my grandpa's a pastor was a pastor and um just always around the things of God grew up going to church camps had experiences with God as a as a boy that just like forever marked me um about fifteen going into my freshman year of high school, everything kind of got flipped turned upside down in my life and My parents were kind of living um, a double life. There was a bunch of secrets underneath the surface that came out and that pretty much rocked me. But God used that um, at that point to uh, put my own walk into it. So basically I, I just began to understand like that I needed my own relationship with God. And so I went on this journey about from freshman year on, of really understanding that that God has a plan for my life, and despite the the mess that my family was, He was so faithful in the midst of it. Um, and so, at that age, I about jumped into ministry. From that point on, uh, high school leadership, um, I kind of looking back realized I distracted myself with morality and and ministry and all those things. And I feel I think it, it marked me. I needed it. But at the same time, uh, there was so much more to it. And there was actually a lot of extras, if you will, that I picked up that I don't think God actually wanted me to learn. Um, and so I've kind of been going through this process. Um, I, I jumped from there. I went to a Bible school. I w- became a young adult pastor, worked at a, a, a big sized church in our area and um, now recently I felt like God was transitioning me into a new season. And so just been figuring out life and realizing how much I didn't know, um, how much God wanted me to unlearn. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm still in this journey of really realizing who God created me to be outside of a church ministry environment. And so that's my current state. Yeah.
1: So
0: when you, um, was there a point like when you found out about your parents, what you say, double life, was there a part where you, what, so instead you like ran face first into God's Yeah,
2: yeah teaching, I would,
0: but was there a point where you were like, I don't know what I believe anymore?
2: Yeah. And I don't think that was until really Bible college and after. Mm-hmm. So the dangerous part is I was leading ministry when some of those things surfaced, right? because the initial, um, again, I, I call it the grace of God caught me as a freshman. I had a youth pastor who was, um, persistent in pursuing me. And I needed that because it created a foundation, um, for the rest of my life. And it created these experiences and it showed me, um, what it looks like to really walk with someone through brokenness at the same time. Um, because of the fracture in my heart that I had towards my parents because I never really dealt with the pain. Um, Mm -hmm. I padded it, Mm -hmm. but I never went through the process of healing it. Um, and so I had bandaid after bandaid after bandaid over my scar or over my wound. So it never turned into uh, a scar. Um, that really surfaced and came to pass or came about, um, probably college on like i'm leading a young adult ministry and i'm coming face to face with my own insecurities with my own orphan mindsets with my own um insufficiencies and realizing uh i actually have a huge parent wound i actually have a ton of pain i haven't dealt with um i've grown through it but there's still some things i needed to go back to and so it wasn't really until unfortunately it wasn't until i was Uh, behind the pulpit had a congregation of my own and that definitely was not the way to go about it
0: I feel like a lot of pastors do that though right yeah and then Eric you were saying you had fragmented situations like are you talking in college so are you saying like you were doing things that weren't biblical like what do you mean by that
3: well I was molested when I was 12 Okay, and then I told my parents at 14, they took me to a counselor who also was a predator and they didn't know that.
1: Wow! So
3: that was super confusing Yeah. me. And uh, in college, I dated some really amazing women, but I felt like I was damaged goods. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a couple of them, one in particular, I really cared a lot about, but I felt Mm -hmm. like I need to back up and let her be with someone who has less baggage than me. And mm-hmm. so the more that you think like that, your sexuality is going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I began to act out in ways that, because I was molested by a man, I began to do mm-hmm. some same-sex acting out. And uh, the more that I pulled away from women because I wanted to protect them from me, then that left only that occasional option, you know. Mm-hmm. And in the church, uh, that's having same-sex issues, even just, it's, it's pretty toxic, there are a few places that you can actually go, so that was uh, a big part of my fragmentation. And then, in building my relationship with God, there was still so much damage, and there was there were very few places to go. So,
1: yeah, and that's funny. We right we we talk to a lot of women who have had trauma and damage in their you know, in their life and they go to the church and the church tells them, well, let's pray about it. Well, let me throw this Bible verse at it and you'll be fine, right? You'll be healed. But there's so much in the process of working through your own story and your own journey and your own trauma that both Phyllis and I have found. Um, And because we came from such different places, yeah. Yet we're so similar in in a lot of ways. And so I think we like to put people in boxes and say, well, you didn't grow up in church, so you don't have, you know, you, you have this trauma, but I did and I'm good, you know. And we're not really addressing the true um, reason why people are hurting and just spiraling and doing things that they shouldn't be doing.
3: Well, it's kind of like what Riley talked about, you know, whenever you... Uh, we go into places because I've worked in, in young adult ministry for many years and I was I really have always had an anointing on it. A lot of people are not excited about young adults because they're a lot of work <laughs> and they will really tick you off like a couple times a day at least. Yeah
0: raise two teens no <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, I've always loved it uh, still I was so broken in some ways yeah. but a lot of the depth and what the answers that I did have, uh, came out of all my brokenness, you know. So yeah. I think in the church, a lot of times, if we could just develop a heart for uh, making it safe for people to be broken, because actually people are. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and I think too, like we have to start changing the way we talk to teens and and adults. About all these situations, because even in the church, those things happen, right? It happened to you and, and people that you're supposed to trust and, um, give credence to because they're the adult and, but people are broken, whether they're, they have, whether they're on a pulpit or whatever, people are broken. Sure. I feel like there's a lot of times where, um, a congregation will put like a priest or a pastor or somebody on a pedestal of like, they're supposed to have all the answers. They're supposed to know
2: better.
0: And yet everyone has a past that has these broken things in it. And, um, maybe what we should do is start having, I think it should be necessary for even pastors or whatever they're called to have regular therapy sessions, you know, to just say like, you're what's going on with you right now. Cause they're carrying a lot too. They're carrying a lot of weight from just the people that come to them. And, but I just feel like the conversations, um, I listened to your podcast with Shelly Kennedy. Mm -hmm. um, And I am also a woman that has gone through an abortion. So I loved that episode because what she spoke of was so real and, And I feel like those kind of things, we have to really understand that there are subjects that only certain people that have gone through those things can really speak of those things. And so that's great if a pastor wants. most of the time they don't want to talk about it, but, you know, like that particular issue, what you've gone through, Eric, like those kind of issues they don't want to discuss because it's just like, oh, you know, what if somebody disagrees with me or what if I say something? But it's like, why can't you interview people that have actually gone through those experiences and gotten the healing and gone through and and they can really speak the truth of what that really felt like? Yeah, Yeah. a man can't tell you like you can say like, oh, this is a sin or this is wrong or that. But if you haven't walked through it, you can't really speak of it. And so I feel like the church does that so wrong sometimes because they need to be able to bring the people in that have actually gone through and walked through and healed through that experience to let the rest of the congregation know if they're sitting in there with that problem, they can not feel alone for one and also not feel the shame.
2: Totally. Yeah.
1: So how did you guys meet, is what I want to know. Is Were, were you mentoring Riley? Was Riley just that guy uh, to mentor?
3: <laughs> we, we, were a, we were part of a ministry where pastors, young adult pastors in the city would come together. And through that, we got to know each other for probably three, four years. Mm-hmm. You know, And then that ministry grew some. And I think uh, I had always known Riley, but we had a... Conference that we had actually at his place, kind of uh, spur of the moment because of weather. So we had to go to the the church that he worked at, and use their facility. And um, when everybody broke for lunch, I went back in the sanctuary, and Riley was walking around straightening chairs and picking up trash. And I was like, "What leader does that? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, because I'm I'm like thirty five years old, thirty six years older than he is." So I've been around a lot, and I've trained a lot of leadership. I led a young adult ministry here in town for over a decade, and so I'm looking at this guy going, "Whoa, that's a whole another level." <laughs> so then I became interested in actually getting to know him on more than just a yeah. And level. and from there he he he
2: said, you know, you want to go to coffee, and we kind of had a. I think it was on Mondays, actually, we had a withstanding coffee meeting at a Starbucks in the area. And I remember specifically early on, um, he, you know, first of all, Eric, somebody who, when he looks at you, you know, he's reading your soul. (laughs) Like, I'm like, oh, this is somebody who sees me for who I am. And you just, you know, you know, the discernment's there. And he'll say things that speak right to your heart, even though they seem um, simple. And so we're sitting there and I remember, I forget what it was, but he was kind of just sharing like, Hey, I feel like I could maybe, um, help walk with you through some, through some stuff if you'd be interested. And I think I remember the quote, it's a hip hop quote, but I said, Eric, you don't have to prove it to me. Real recognizes real. And it's just the whole idea. Like real people are drawn to real people. Yeah. Yes. And you don't got to put a, you don't got to put a banner up. There's just a connection that happens when you know, somebody has been through it and mm-hmm. they're not going to lie about the fact that they've been, that they've been through it. Yeah. And not only that, they're not going to lie about the fact that they're still walking through it. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I just got that sense for, from him and he just offered, there were so many areas in my life that had been un um, unexplored uh pains and weaknesses and you, you know things from practicalities to my scheduling to emotional pain, all of it where he had so much wisdom and life experience in that it was just like drinking from a fire hose at times. And I just gained I mean I've grown an incredible amount. I think we've known each other seven years now. Yeah. So exactly. it's it's been quite quite the the unexpected relationship.
3: Well, and what happened, actually, uh, I was going to a church on my side of town, because I live on the other side of town from Rye, and the Holy Spirit told me to start going to his services. And I was like, oh, okay, because I had stopped leading the ministry that I led with one of my buddies. And um, so I rearranged my schedule so that I saw all my Rockland, Roosevelt people on Thursdays, because that's when he had service. So I started going to that, and I didn't think anything of it until I went in the first time, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. So this looks creepy. These people don't know us. They don't know that we have a friendship. I'm my age, and all these young people are like, "Uh, hi. (laughs) And I'm used to walking into my ministry where everybody knows me, and everybody can't wait to see me, and they're all excited. And his, his guys were like, "Uh." Who? Who's the
0: creepy man coming in?
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, we're pretty boys from Rockland who are, it's about anybody who walks in that doesn't look like us.
3: Wow.
0: Like, oh,
2: okay. Okay, pretty boy.
3: <laughs> well, that's actually true. So that's how he tells it. You get yeah. the point. I didn't mean like that. <laughs> No, that's exactly what it's like.
1: So first off, I've seen some of Eric's posts and I'm like, who are these guys? Like, did they all just step out of like GQ magazine? I'm like,
3: like, what the heck? So he's not lying when he says that. There's some more who don't look like they stepped out of GQ magazine (laughs) too. They just don't like their pictures taken.
0: (laughs) So they're vain. (laughs)
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we, I started going. I went to his ministry for I think like two and a half years while he was there. And we learned a lot just uh, about a, a lot of things. And a lot of his, Riley's super anointed when he speaks. But the enemy loves to always, you know, try to bushwhack us on the way out the door after we speak. And so I just became vigilant about that. And I'm not mm-hmm. known for flattery. So when I would combat the lies with the truth, then it began to build some confidence, because it was based on truthful things, you know. Yeah. And
1: I love that you, Riley, I love that you had a mentor who was older than you. I find that a lot of times in churches, we're trying to make everything so relevant. We're right. trying to be like, well, this pastor's too old to be part of this ministry. And it's like, mm-hmm. when you have those pastors who have gone through it and have seen it all, and, you know, they they want to help. And sometimes we dismiss them. And I think vice versa, when you have a younger leader to be able to, mm-hmm. as Eric does, looks at you and says, like, what can I learn? You know, as far like so that that segues right into authentic, because yeah. we know that that's probably not the most natural thing for Eric to do. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen Eric sometimes gets the uncontrollable laughs. So. <laughs>,
2: <laughs>
3: yes, he does.
1: <laughs> so I'm assuming that Rothentic was your brainchild.
3: It was Riley's brainchild. Okay, Riley said, "I think we're gonna do some something together, like a year or so before we did it." And I was like, "Oh, okay." I really didn't think that much about it, you know. And um, we just we've always had really uh, pretty powerful conversations, very authentic conversations. Mm-hmm. And um, we, uh, I had a life situation that came up in my life that. What I didn't say is Riley actually, the more that we walked together, he actually spoke things into my life that Mm -hmm. gave me a lot of understanding about myself. I have a spiritual father who's a powerhouse in the kingdom and he heard Riley speak one time and he said he has the wisdom of a 40-year-old man. Mm -hmm. So that wisdom benefited me. But Mm -hmm. Riley and I then had a situation where he helped me walk through something that occurred in my life. And we started having a lot of, super, I mean, it, went, it took us to a completely different level in our friendship and in our communication. Mm-hmm. And then we started talking about uh, doing a podcast, and so that's how we started that. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. So I feel like you're our male version of Phyllis and I, although I'm I know. although i not 29, but <laughs> <laughs> I wish well, you No, know, she's not. not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very similar that's to our story.
0: We are about the same age difference, though, because yeah. well, ours is 20, something. I'm 64, so. Yeah, and I'm not going to say how old
1: I am. She's not going to say. <laughs> I'll be but every- she's older than 30. I'm older than 30, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, Phyllis and I had the same thing. We've held each other, you know, through some really difficult times. We actually bonded over, we both lost children, um, and so we one day just bonded and it's kind of in the same thing where we have just found mm-hmm so much comfort in lifting one, one another up, especially during different seasons of our lives. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember when we first became friends, I had friends that were closer to my age. I'd be like, why are you hanging out with her? She's too Mm -hmm. old. And I'm like, she's not though. She's, I mean, she's the coolest 64 year old. I know that's for sure. I'm just (laughs) immature. I mean, it's okay. (laughs) Her husband's also eight years younger than her.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which, which i think also just to interrupt think it's important to know you know we how important it is for my generation to seek out the generations that have gone before us i think we yeah. have a um a culture now where everything that we're watching and gathering is coming from people near or around our age yeah. because mm-hmm. of what Rhonda said that it's about relevance but I look at even scripturally when, when Moses died, God said to Joshua, Moses, my servant is dead. Uh, then he turned his head towards Joshua and he said the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: The That's why the, the relationship between Moses and Joshua is important because that word from God would have meant nothing if Joshua didn't get to see how God was with Moses. Mm-hmm. So because he had a, a a passenger seat into Moses life, his leadership, his mistakes. Mm -hmm. It meant something when God whispered and said, Hey, the same way I was with him, I'm going to be with you. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we miss the way that God wants to walk with us because we're not humble enough to seek the advice of the people who've gone before us. Mm -hmm. And God, God does things generationally. And it's important to know that just because it was in a different day and age, there's different giants that people have slayed before us that we might
3: not have to. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. then on the other side of that, I also think that my generation could learn millennials. They really have no respect for much, frankly, (laughs) except for authenticity. And Mm -hmm. uh, so many times my generation is unwilling to be vulnerable and to be known. And so they come to church people come to church there's no answers no answers really given from the pulpit that work because nobody gives a testimony and mm-hmm. testimonies like people give what history but they don't give testimonies testimonies are what's god doing in your life right now like our generation would do well to stop acting like we have it all together because <laughs> we don't and the older you get the more you look at choices you've made or things that you're you're trying to figure out <laughs> and it just it doesn't make sense. So it's so helpful to have um, a lot of younger people who will actually ask you questions that my generation won't ask.
1: Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm.
3: my generation a lot of times is too afraid to put themselves on the firing line like that because this generation is like, that doesn't work for us. Why do you do that? I don't think it works for you. I don't see that in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. And
0: that and the millennials that you said, the word is authentic. They they love authenticity and they just want to know, like, did you struggle? Do you struggle? Is that, you know, like, tell me your life. And when you can be real raw with them, I I love the name of your podcast. I think (laughs) is such a great combination of those words, because being authentic and being raw is exactly what the millennials want. I feel I love the younger generation um, because I am just a kid at heart. But I also think like I I respect their opinion and um, and I think it's important to never narrow, even though we have the experience. So we have a lot to give to them to show them, like, listen, you know, you know when something's going to be right or wrong because we've walked through it. Right. But also to have an open mind to be able to listen to their ideas and not just think of it as an immature idea or they're not ready to to really look at something differently than what we may have thought of it. and, And just be like, huh, you know, like I never thought of it that way, but let's talk about that a little bit. Instead of being like, well, I'm older and you have to listen to me and I know, her, you know, I, I just I can't handle people that are like that because I have learned so much. I think the reason Rhonda and I have such a good relationship, too, is because um, there are things that Rhonda teaches me because of her Christian walk that I didn't get to learn as a young person. And then vice versa. There are things in the world that I came from that she may be going through now. And she's like, oh my gosh, we've never gone through that. And I'm like, oh girl, I've gone through that. Like, let, you know, come on, I'll take you alongside. Yeah. And it just works together that way. Right. But if you're not authentic and raw with the people that you meet and really take the age out of it, but yeah be with people and really show them. But I do think there's something about mentorship that is super important. And I'm all about that and breaking off like generations, like a dysfunction that shouldn't be there to teach them. Like you don't have to be where you came from. Like you can become a new person. And so I love the idea of, I think more friendships need to be like that where it's not just the same ages, but like meet different kinds of,
3: yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of, um, it's very fulfilling to me to help people skip 20 years of stupid, <laughs> often, you know, and just to like see some, see a bunch of these young women and young men. Cause I have a group of women that I work with also. Uh, just through our, we were in our ministry, we had a large community. And so it's very fulfilling to me to, Say things that can help people like stop doing stupid right now and skip, you know, what took me 30 years to figure out.
1: (laughs) Don't be like us.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Don't fail in this area.
1: Well, and I think in church, what, you know, how you were saying that it's hard for people to be vulnerable. I think this next generation is done with it. I think, you know, we, we go to church and we try and manufacture things, but they don't want more lights and more smoke and mirrors. They want the vulnerability. And I mean, Phyllis and I have talked about this so many times. I I, actually, yesterday she had come over and I told her, I said, you know, I wish I would have had a therapist at, in my early twenties to deal with the stuff that I was dealing with at that time, you know, because I think in Christianity, we just want to be like, well, you know what? I I went to a counselor four times. We talked about my problem and I'm done. (laughs) That's just not how it works. Right. I mean, that's just not how it works. We're constantly um, evolving. And so how do you guys think we need to make changes in church to hold space for people and just be better leaders?
2: I personally think it, it comes down to how you personally do relationship. And I think the danger in faith circles and organized organizational church is, um, we substitute, uh, programs for relationship. Yeah. We think if you come to the class, you attend this discipleship course. If you do, you know, you attend all of these different things, you're going
3: to find freedom. Well, you get a certificate, and that means you're free. Yeah. And, and you're disciple.
2: Yeah. You finish the workbook and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, now go disciple the world. And it's like, we never dealt with any pain. Nobody showed me how to do anything. I filled in the blank from your course. And we can't substitute a program for relationship. We have to get people in connection with one another. Um, and the reason I feel like, I mean, it would take a very special church or very special organization for, for a program like that to work because, um, in relationship, we can be honest. Mm-hmm. Like if it's me and you and we're sitting over a, a coffee or whatever, look, we can talk about the real thing. But like Eric said, from a stage, what leader is going to open up that much? What leader is going to get to a place where, where they're going to, you know, say, this is, these are my wounds. These are what were my failures. Um, And this is just as uh, in ministry, something that I've tried to live by or something that I was convicted by was that leaders need to understand that people will connect with their vulnerability more than they'll ever connect with their ability. And Mm so it's, it's putting that forward. And I think that has to happen in the context of relationship. And I even think of, you know, Jesus, after he's risen from the dead, he has showed himself to um, a couple of disciples. He's walking and there's two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus walks up on them. These are people, two people who followed Jesus at one point, had relationship with him, should have recognized who Jesus was. But they walk up, and for whatever reason, they can't recognize Jesus. And Jesus, in that moment, you—if it's me, I'm—I would be like, "Hey, dude, it's me. You, you followed me for three years. You should know who I am." Like, "Hello, get your stuff together." But what does he do? He asks them questions. He takes the the long walk to Emmaus with them. He allows them to ask questions. Who who, who is it that you're searching for? And they have this dialogue. And Jesus never gives them the answer, or beats the truth, you know, against their head. He sits down with them over bread. And as he's breaking the bread, then they understand and their eyes are open. And I think that's the beauty of what the church should represent is people who are willing to take the walk with people who are willing to not just force answers down their throat. But I want to know you. I want to know who you are. And so I think if we can learn to steward real, honest relationship better, um, we might be able to see a shift in the way things are going.
1: Yeah. And I think that's training the people that are in church leadership too. you know, whoever is in your small group or whatever, training them to be better connectors and ask those questions. And that's something that both Phyllis and I have worked very hard at doing and learning and still learning. Um, because I do believe, you know, you connect and then you can correct. But um, yeah, I, I love that. Thank you, Riley.
0: Um, so with both of you being in church leadership at different points in your life, what's the number one piece of advice you would give to a church leader?
3: Uh, I I think... I don't have so much advice for church leaders. I'm just trying to be a, a leader mm-hmm. uh, because I think it's very easy to stand back. I'm a preacher's kid. So I saw my father and my mother, they served a, a congregation of about 350 to 400, and we had no staff. So it was the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I saw them get picked apart. It's, there's People are such uh, easy targets when they're in positions of leadership. Uh, So, and it's very easy to just be critical, you know, Uh, what I'm trying to do in my own life, in my age and in my sphere of influence is to uh, be more forthcoming myself and more authentic in what I'm learning, what I don't know, mistakes I've made, and to um, give the people that I have influence with that information so that they can stand on my shoulders and go up and not stand so much next to me and still trying to figure out the same answers that I never figured out. Mm -hmm. I think the the biggest thing is just for leaders to look at themselves and know themselves. And also there's so many senior leaders who don't have a single person Mm -hmm. that they can trust because Mm -hmm. as soon as somebody gets close to them, if anything goes sideways, then the person who was their close friend Uh, many times will violate confidences or things like that. And so it's just, it's a very dangerous place for leaders to be. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so powerful. We do what we call circles of covenant. It's so powerful to find an inner circle of people that you can trust and that you can talk about real stuff and know that it's not gonna get put out somewhere and they're not gonna put you on blast. Yeah. So when you make mistakes, because Riley and I have both done things in our own friendship that have not been fun for the other person. Mm-hmm. And every time that something like that has come up, we've every single time been able to just work through it. Yeah. I just think it's, it's relationship is really what it comes down to. And there are so many lonely leaders who yeah. don't really know where to go. So, Yeah. You're better than me. I have advice for leaders. <laughs> Give it. He's younger. He hasn't tried to live with his own advice as long as
2: I have. <laughs> Tell him
0: to be quiet.
3: <laughs> oh, no, I never do that. I'm just he comes playing. up with great stuff. I really don't. Just <laughs>
1: <laughs> you don't have any advice?
2: <laughs> I, I Genuinely, it's everything he just said. I think I, the, the danger of um, the culture we've created around Pastors now is the green room mentality, which Mm -hmm. is the only time I see the congregation is when I'm 30 feet away with a pulpit between us. And I think that that's dangerous because everyone we know is under us. And I think if and, and, and I'll just speak from my experience, not necessarily to man, these pastors need to figure it out. From my experience, what I needed was I needed some peer-to-peer accountability. And I hate the word accountability, but relationship, meaning who's in in some of our pastors' circles that are gonna tell them no? Like, like who do you have trusted next to you that's gonna be like, hey man, like that's not a good look? Or your tone and the way that you did that just seemed off. And I think if if our pastors had those types of relationships, like Eric said. Mm-hmm it would actually, it would help our congregations. It would save our congregations from a lot of pain. And it's like, man, even David had a Nathan, mm-hmm. even David had somebody come and call him out and be like, Hey, I know what you're doing with Bathsheba. Right.
1: <laughs>
2: and, and that's all in love. And from that, what do we get? We get Psalm 51, the repentance of David. Yeah. And I think repentance doesn't happen outside of relationship. It's just not going to happen. And so if we can have pastors with a soft enough heart and really be friends to pastors in that way. And I think maybe that's even the bigger challenge is what church are you at? What leader are you um, following or, uh, you know, under and how can you serve him? How, how can you get into relationship with this guy and, 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 you know, build trust and be somebody
3: he can, he can count on? Right. I think the, the other thing in faith culture and the, our world today, people's individual relationship with God is about kiddie pool deep. <laughs> yeah. And so they come to, I mean, they have no context for what the mercy and grace of God is. They don't, they've never really worked through things. It's like, come to church. I want you to entertain me. You need to be profound. You change my life. It has
0: to touch my heart.
3: Yeah. I have to have an emotion. Yeah. God forbid that I don't have an emotion. Yeah. And then so they're in a position of being an icon. Right. And really we go in putting them in that position. And then when they fall, we are just shattered. Yeah. I don't know if I, if God is for real. Seriously. Yeah. Why don't you get to know God? Like shake his hand next Sunday. because right. <laughs> You obviously don't know him. Right. No leader makes him real or not real. Right. And by the way, your life, are you living what you're pointing at this leader for? Yeah. You know, nobody says that in faith culture.
0: Yeah. Right. So true. Yeah. yeah.
1: I will say my, yeah. dad, my dad was really good at that. I mean, mm-hmm. he, even when he had gone through his fall, he never stopped going to church. Like he'd mm-hmm. never, he always encouraged us to continue we didn't jump around to a bunch of churches every time, you know, the pastor didn't preach the right thing or, and I find that a lot of Christians do that. They're, you know, just, mm-hmm. I call them vending machine Christians, <laughs> waiting God for God to give them, you know, I need a new car. God, let me turn that thing. Woo, You're good. You know, yeah, something bad. He didn't give me the message I wanted to hear. I'm leaving. Exactly. <laughs> oh my God. I could talk to you guys forever. I, know. I have one last question. Um, And we'll start with Eric first. What would you tell your 22-year-old self?
3: Mm, Hmm. To stop being afraid and to not be afraid to uh, know yourself. I don't even know how that could have happened, you know, because I was thinking uh, there was just so many things that happened. Mm that gave me very legitimate reasons to be very cautious and self-preserve and be analytical Mm. at every turn. Mm. And so I don't know that I could have done a better job. It would have been awesome for somebody to have stepped into my life and to have gone, hey, I know what's going on. And I actually, I have done that over and over and over and over again. Uh, I think that's part of what drives my love for young adults. Yeah. Uh, For many years, it was because I didn't have any vision for my own life. I just wanted them to avoid my life. So I don't, I I think for a 22 year old, I would just say, maybe just stand still while I give you a hug and just make the hug last for a long time (laughs) because that was really what I needed.
1: I I love that. That's good. And Riley, now you're leaving your 20s behind. Yeah. So I I know. So, how did you feel yesterday? (laughs) You have tons of wisdom now
2: because you're (laughs) in my book, almost 30s. I would look at 22 year old Riley and say, behind every insecurity, behind every uh, dysfunction, and behind every sin is a pain attached to it that caused it. And I would let them, let him know that um, the symptoms of what you're feeling um, are caused by a root pain that was caused somewhere along the line. And you need to get that. You can find healing for that now. You don't have to wait till you're 30. You don't have to wait till you get the job. It, now, do it now. And that healing will never happen on accident it's in, it's about intentionality. Mm-hmm. And you have, if you're 22 or in your younger 20 twenties now, Eric would for sure echo this. And he told me this, but we have an opportunity right now to get healing before we're in the relationship, before we have the kids, before we start this new family. Like what if the curses, the generational brokenness was broken before you ever started the next generation. Yeah. And and I think I would just challenge 22-year-old me to, to step into healing now. And it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be vulnerable. It's going to give you a raw feeling and you're going to want to run and hide. But stay on the journey and stay with people who who walk with you in it.
1: I love that. Oh, this was so good, guys. And I just have to ask, where do they find you on social media? And tell them about Authentic Radio and where they can find that podcast as well.
2: We're at at Rawthentic Radio. That's R A W T H E N T I C Radio. And then what's your Instagram? At Uh, Eric Waterbury. Just uh, W A T E R B U R Y. Like Barry. B U R Y. (laughs) Not Barry. You're going to eat them. As in a (laughs) great. And I'm at Riley Silva. R Y L I E -S S I L V A.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you guys so much for being on today. We really appreciate you and 24 Karat Tribe. Don't forget to follow, like, subscribe, and share. And until next time, sparkle on. Bye, peace. Bye. Bye. Bye.
3: Bye Bye-bye.